You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 84 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Cherry Pop. Based out of Long Island, New York, Cherry Pop conjures the spirit of late 70s sleazy punk rock with an onslaught of lyrical filth, catchy beats, and guitar riffs that will make you squirm. Cherry Pop is currently in the studio working on a full-length album, but in the meantime, you can hear Cherry Pop's latest EP, Sue Me, on Bandcamp, Spotify, and Apple Music. For more information on Cherry Pop, you can see them on Facebook at Cherry Pop 516 or on Instagram at Cherry Pop LI. Now here it is, their new single, Whore. Show me how to man Take over what is yours Baby 
number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like the shadows. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Eric from Dillinger 4, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all. Hey everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your host for That One Time on Tour. Uh, If you didn't know what it was, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have an awesome conversation I'd like to thank all the new listeners for coming last week for Mr. Roger Camaro from the Warriors and No Motive. I had an awesome time talking to Roger. We're going to have him back on the program soon. Make sure to check out No Motive's like 20th anniversary awesome re-release of And the Sadness Prevails and also the brand new record that just dropped Friday by the Warriors called Monomyth. They're both on Spotify and Apple Music, so go check that out. This week on the program, I got to sit down with Eric Funk of Dillinger 4. I've been a big Dillinger 4 fan for quite a while, so this was this was a real thrill and honor for me. Eric was a really cool guy. We talked about all kinds of cool stuff. I never knew this, but he actually owns, he owned, not anymore, he owned the Triple Rock venue out there in Minneapolis. If you like No Effects, they have that song, Scene Double at the Triple Rock. But uh, we talk about that. We talk about kind of why Dillinger 4, Dillinger 4 has done things on their own, like the, their own way, like not touring 10 months out of the year and kind of just, you know, doing things on their own terms. And it was a great conversation. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. But as always, I've got to pay some bills. I got to tell you about my amazing sponsors. Back for another episode, Permanence Tattoo Gallery, my favorite tattoo shop in the world. It is located in Anderson, Indiana, Downtown on Meridian Street, my buddy and past guest of the show, Jacob Harrison, is the owner and proprietor, and it is a wonderful shop. If you guys are local here in Indiana, head on over there, tell them that I sent you, and if you are not local, you got to get here, get some ink, and then go back home. So uh, thanks a lot to Jacob and all the fine folks over at Permanence Tattoo Gallery for sponsoring that one time on tour. Also, make sure to check out the band that sponsored this episode, Cherry Pop. They are from Long Island, New York. They're really, really cool. It's that like sleazy, old school kind of 70s rock punk kind of stuff. I really, really like this band, and I think you guys should 
go tell them that you heard them here on this podcast. That's how it works. If you guys like some of the stuff you hear on the podcast, whether it be a company or a band, go let them know so they know that this promotion thing, this, this sponsorship thing is working. So check out Cherry Pop. They're everywhere on all the socials and uh, also on Spotify and Apple Music. If you would like to become a sponsor, say you have a band or you have a company or whatever, you can hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on all the social media platforms at TOTOTpodcast. If you are just, you know, you don't have a band or a company or anything, but you want to help the show out, you can do that. You can become a patron. Go on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. And you can get involved. We have a three different tiers over there. We have a $2 tier, which gets you a shout out on the show. We have a $5 tier, which gets you a shout out on the show and exclusive bonus material. And then we have our producer tier, which is $25 a month. And uh, so far, we just had one producer, Punk Rock Bob Foster, at Punk Rock Bob Foster. But this week... We have a brand new Patreon producer. So give it up for Mr. John Exton. I'm clapping from Stafford, England. Thank you so much, John, for becoming a patron, a patron, a Patreon producer. Uh, he is in a really cool band called Between Static and Silence. You can check them out on Instagram at BSAS Band. And they're going to be opening up for my old buddy and bandmate, Christopher Rowe, on his acoustic tour in Stafford, England on January 10th. So make sure to check that out and make sure to check out all of Chris's dates. Like I said, he's doing this acoustic tour all throughout the UK. I think he has some mainland Europe as well. I think uh, maybe Switzerland and Italy. I'm not sure. I can't remember what the dates were. But thank you so much, John, for becoming a Patreon producer. Like I said, if you guys want to get involved like John, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. What's going on with me? Well, I just finished my Rock and Roll Summer Camp Autumn Session. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but the name of the company is Rock and Roll Summer Camp. But yes, we just finished our Autumn Session, and it went really, really well. I'm going to have some of my students on a future episode. I'm going to talk to them about music and whatnot. If you guys have any questions for my students, you can hit me up on the socials, TOTOT Podcast. And let me know, and I'll ask them, and it should be a pretty interesting episode. Uh, my students I'm going to be talking to range in ages from, like, I think 12 to 18. So it's going to be really cool. And the, the best thing that happened at the concert, the final concert for the camp, was that uh, the song that was chosen for the epic closer was Bro Him by Pennywise. And we had all the kids on stage for it, and they're all doing the whoa part. And uh, I filmed a little bit of it. I was so busy running around like a crazy person and running sound and dealing with parents that uh, I didn't have time to do much, but I filmed the last little part of that song and I threw it up online on the Instagram and Jimmy from Pennywise actually shared it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the kids were freaking out. I, I told all the kids that, that Randy from Pennywise actually liked it. And then Jim actually shared it on his Instagram. So shout out to the Pennywise guys. Thank you so much. You you made those kids day like they were so stoked that the song that they chose to do for the last concert or for the last for the last song of the concert, the guys who actually played and wrote the song saw it and liked it and shared it. So thank you guys very much for that. Other than my camp, things are winding down as the holidays approach. 
I am working on <clears throat> demos for the Widow Jenkins, which is my little project that I restarted after many, many years away from it. And uh, I may be playing a little snippet of a demo I'm working on. There's no vocals or anything, but I, I might I might do that just for you guys to see what you think. I'd like some feedback. But uh, that's that's it, really, just working on demos, doing the podcast, and I have a lot of guests lined up, so I don't really get to take a break on the holidays. I'm, I'm not working much, but I'm going to be doing the podcast quite a bit. But uh, I want you guys to send me in your top five albums of 2019. I'm going to start reading those next week on the program. I have my top five. Actually, mine might be a top ten, because it's really hard for me. There was a lot of really good music that came out this year. And I don't want to leave anybody out. So make sure to send in your top five albums of, of 2019. Also, I wanted to let you know that our patrons get priority on all of this. They get to be featured before anybody else. So if you want to make sure to get featured on the show, become a patron and it'll happen, man. So uh, that's it for me. I'm going to get into a TOTOT radio segment. So cue the theme music. Radio, radio, radio. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, I wanted to highlight a band that honestly I'd kind of forgotten about and then they followed the podcast on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Uh, Somehow Hollow, great band out of Canada. They put a record out on Victory way back in the day. Uh, They had members that actually also played in Grade, which is one of my favorite bands. I love Grade so much. And I kind of forgot that they were even a thing. And I guess they never really went away. They just kind of, they quit touring full time and did other things, other projects. But yeah, they followed the podcast and I hit them up and I was like, oh man, I want to have you on the podcast. And they were freaked out like, oh, don't you want better people on the podcast? I was like, I love you guys. I've been listening to you for so long. And then Brad uh, from Somehow Hollow, who was also in grade, he's going to come on the show uh, in the new year. And he sent me their new EP, which is called Chasing Daylight. And man, it is so good. It's on Apple Music and Spotify and everywhere. So if you guys want to check it out, Somehow Hollow, Chasing Daylight is the four song EP that they just released. And it is stellar. It is so good. And I just love how this podcast and how the internet kind of works. Like, I don't even know why they followed the podcast. I mean, I guess they listened to the podcast possibly. I don't know. Or maybe they were just trying to get people to check out their Instagram. But uh, for whatever reason, it worked out. And Brad's going to come on the show very soon. And I've always been a fan of Somehow Hollow. And uh, I love Grade. So I'm going to play the title track from their new four song EP, Chasing Daylight. This is Somehow Hollow with Chasing Daylight. Check it out. Just to Now buried deep in 
was somehow hollow with chasing daylight like i said make sure to check out their new four song ep under the same name chasing daylight somehow hollow is a great band and i cannot wait for brad to come on the show so thank you guys very much for checking that out i hope you guys are enjoying the totot radio segments i've been doing quite a lot of them lately i will get back to doing my other segments very very soon and uh i'm trying to get somebody One of my heroes lined up for episode 100, which will be in the new year coming in a couple months. And I can't wait for that. And I can't really tell you much about it right now, but I will tell you very soon. I have a couple crazy interviews coming up and you guys are going to find out very, very soon. But uh, that's it for me. Make sure to subscribe, rate and review. That is the best way to help out the show, preferably five stars. And I am going to jump out of here right now and I will talk to you after my conversation with Mr. Eric Funk of Dillinger 4. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a good one. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Eric from Dillinger 4. How you doing today, man? Good. How's it going, man? It's going really well. Uh, you're in Minneapolis, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, I'm in, the, I'm in the greater Twin Cities area now, but yeah. Yeah, is it cold up there like it is in Indiana right now? I mean, today's like beautiful. It's 40 maybe. Did you guys get, did you get some of that snow the other night that we got? Yeah, yeah. No, it was it's been bitter for for a couple of weeks, but so today actually feels pretty nice. Well, it, it's kind of nice to talk to a Midwestern guy. A lot of the people for the last like three or four months on the podcast have been on the West Coast, and I don't think they understand what I'm going through right now. No, they don't know. They don't know. I remember when when uh, uh, years ago um, we had a night back. This was back when Dufour all lived in the same house. Um, and we had Propagandi and, um, uh, oh, what was Larry Livermore's band? Uh, 
Oh yeah. What, uh, was, what was their name? What were they called? Yeah. <laughs> Potato men. Potato. Man. Yeah. 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 Um, all staying at our house and there was this freak blizzard coming in and it was hilarious because propaganda were all just like not sweating it. They both had huge long drives the next day. They're just like, Oh, whatever. They're, <laughs> they're from Winnipeg. They know what's going on. They're from on. Winnipeg. They're not sweating. And the potato men are up all night, like strategizing and figuring out what they're <laughs> going to do, but they're going the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Well, my, my wife is from Birmingham, Alabama, and I actually met her when I was living down closer to Florida a few years back. And now we're living in the middle of Indiana. So every time it snows, she's like, you're going to work? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Okay. So uh, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, I mean, I've been a fan ever since the first full length on Hopeless, but I mean, you guys are celebrating 25 years as a band. You've got some shows coming up. Uh, in Chicago, Des Moines, and, and in Minneapolis, where you guys are located. How does it feel to have been a band for 25 years? That's quite an accomplishment. It is. It is, I think, especially because, I mean, unless you want to get really technical, it's basically been the same four guys, too. I mean, yeah. technically, Billy is still the new guy. He joined on our second 7-inch. Okay. Actually, he joined... He might have even technically joined before we put out our first seven inch. Wow. So we still we still call him the new guy. But other than that, um, I mean, I think that's almost the bigger achievement, <laughs> you know. Like Well, I mean, I was just, I was thinking about that because on your Wikipedia page it says past members and there's like one member. I was in a band yeah. called the Ataris, and if you go to our sure. Wikipedia page, I was like the seventh guitarist, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, it's normal. I mean, we're we're the anomaly to be able to keep the exact same same guys yeah we had we had a different guitar player when we very first started well when we very first started we were actually a three-piece like when we chose the name dillinger four there were only three of us and it, and it would that that was the i mean that was the plan the four wasn't related yeah we added a member and it just coincidentally then became dillinger four made sense but that was <laughs> well i mean I was, I was looking the other day and this isn't like one of my favorite bands but maroon five has seven members now <laughs> really? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Taking our thing, see, but it's just a Maroon Seven. Just, I mean, it doesn't sound. It doesn't. Dillinger Three didn't sound good. And Ben Folds Five was always three guys, so you know. Good point. Wow, <laughs> you've actually thought way longer and harder on this subject than I ever have. I have. I was actually today. <laughs> I was thinking. I mean, because you know, I've always really liked your band. I haven't dug super deep into you guys. I mean, a little bit because you guys have been a little less active than some of the bands I've listened to since I was younger. Sure. And uh, I was thinking today, D4, I wonder if that is because of the amount of guys in the band or not. And I was thinking about other bands that kind of use that, you know, tongue in cheek. Yeah. And, oh, Ben Folds 5, but there's three of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it was, but oh, go ahead. Oh, and so you guys, that was one thing I wanted to get into. You guys have always kind of... I mean, to me, you know, that I've tried to keep up with you guys, it seems like you do things your own way. You don't really, you know, follow the trends. You're not one of those bands that's going to be on tour for 10 months in a row. I mean, has that always kind of been the way you guys wanted to do things? Yeah. I mean, when back, um, when we were first getting started, we, you know, we wanted to be, we wanted to be on tour all the time. Yeah. Um, that was what, what we wanted to do probably more than anything with our band was go out and, and play shows. We loved it. Um, and I had, I had played in band. I mean, I, I turned 16 on a tour. Wow. And, you know, Dillinger four didn't put out a record until I was, uh, what, 24 or something like that. You know what yeah, I mean? So, yeah. um, so I mean, that was already what I'd been doing, what Patty had been doing. Um, that was our favorite thing about being in bands. 
Um, but you know, that was, we were the appropriate age to be, <laughs> to be doing that. I mean, we were go, you know, we had summers off or basically in college or kind of college age for those of us that weren't going to school. And, um, and we just ran out every chance we could. It's just, that was still early enough in the nineties that, you know, the opportunities to go out and play like a, like a real, a real tour with a, you know, with real venues the whole way wasn't really what bands did. It, yeah. it wasn't really that yet um, for most of us. And so, you know, those tours were amazing and brutal. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, seriously brutal, just days and days with nothing to do except for just, you know, impose on some poor, some poor kids, parents house for four days while we had nothing to do or, um, dude back in the day know. i was my first band ever was this band called chronic chaos and uh one of our first tours we ever did i booked all the way to the east coast and then down to florida and back and we got to uh spartanburg south carolina we played a show five shows got canceled and we stayed at this girl's one bedroom apartment for those five days and then picked sure. the tour back up <laughs> i yeah, felt i felt so bad day. for her you know Billy, our guitar player's old band, Scooby Don't. He was in this kind of pop punk band called Scooby Don't. Those guys, um, they were on a six week US tour, and somewhere like week three and a half, they ended up, I want to say it was in Maryland somewhere, and broke down so bad and were so broke that they just got jobs. Wow. And then they, they <laughs> and then they rebooked the second half of the tour, and they just lived for like six or eight weeks in Maryland and got jobs until they could fix their van. <laughs> there was a band that we toured with from uh from Kansas called Filthy Jim. You've ever heard of that band? Yeah, it's, it rings a bell. Yeah, they uh <laughs> they were telling us on that first tour they're like, "Yeah, cuz they had done a lot more than we had back in the day." And they were like, "Yeah, there was this one time we were in like Dallas, Texas or somewhere and we didn't have any money and the shows got canceled, so we all gave blood and then we all did odd jobs around town." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's awesome, man. Um, you know, you could kind of do that at that age. And then, you know, and then also there was just I mean, as long as your standards were as low as you can possibly make standards for expectations for what a show, quote unquote, is, yeah. then you could, you know, you could totally do that back then because there's always someone who would give you a show somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that might be like them and two of their roommates and only one of them comes to the show anyways and you, that's your show. But if you're happy doing that. You could do it endlessly back then, you know, probably maybe still can. I don't know. So uh, you guys did, you know, you were talking about seven inches and whatnot. I know you had some releases when you guys finally kind of hooked up with Hopeless Records and you released Midwest Songs of the Americas in 1998. What led to the relationship with Hopeless Records? Well, it actually it, it goes right to what we were talking about because we so, yeah, we had put out. Um, from 94 to like 97, I guess when, when we finally got a chance to do an album, we'd put out what, I guess three, seven inches, maybe, um, and maybe a split. Um, and we would tour on those. Like there were records like, Oh, we have a seven inch. Let's go on a tour. Yeah. Um, to support our seven inch. Um, and, uh, and one of the, one of those random stops on a random tour was in great falls, Montana. And there's this guy named Seth and, you know, he was kind of like the local mover and shaker kid that you know loved the music and did stuff he did like a little distro and put on shows and um i think because maybe he did a distro he he had a little bit of relationship with lewis from hopeless yeah so he got seven inch from us when we played his his house or whatever and um for our first seven inch he just you know i think he just liked it and sent it to sent it to lewis so it was from that that kind of touring you know it's, it was all just kind of word of mouth and that's that's how lewis found out about us 
Were you guys looking to like, I mean, I know that's kind of a weird question, but were you guys looking to sign a deal or were you guys content in how things were? We were. I mean, you know, Minneapolis at the time didn't really have, it had a lot of amazing things happening. Um, As a punk scene, it was really amazing in that period through the 90s, but it didn't really have a label that made sense for us. Like it had established labels like amphetamine reptile. Yeah. Obviously didn't make sense for us. Profane existence didn't really make sense for us. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, there wasn't like a label that put out that kind of would fit with us locally. Um, so I just think it took a while. The labels that were operating at the time, you know, that could really do a full length for maybe a band like us. I think it just took, took a while before we got on any of their radar, even though we were, touring a lot and doing all these shows and we we're just doing basement shows and VFW halls and wherever else, you know, we could play. It just took a while, but yeah, I mean, we were looking and then when we, when all of a sudden um, we had an opportunity, then I think we had three or four labels all kind of at once seem like, Oh, I'll do, we'll do a full length for you. <laughs> um, what were some of the other labels? If you don't mind me asking, oh, I, I don't I don't know if any of them are, are around anymore. Like um, there was a label called far out records that okay. was, they did like against all authority stuff and like um, before hopeless. Um, there was a label called Harmless Records out of Chicago. I don't remember who that name sounds familiar. Did yeah, they were just kind of like you know they weren't like you know it wasn't like the big popular labels and Hopeless was far and away the most established of them. And and Hopeless wasn't a label that we. I mean, we you know we're we're pretty into our music scene. Yeah. Especially back then, you know, we, you know, we were record store kids. Like we were, you know, we were engulfed in it. Like we, you know, we were connected into it and hopeless wasn't really a label that like, we weren't spinning a lot of hopeless tapes in the, in the van. <laughs> I would, you know? I would like, say back in the day, I would think that, I mean, that's a great label, but I, was it scary yeah. with the kind of bands that were on that label? It didn't feel like, seem like you guys fit that well, but that can be a good thing. Yeah. You can kind of stick out, you know? Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to because I mean, Patty, and, and believe me, like over the years, I and mean, we were nothing but um, grateful to Hopeless, and you know, like I mean, it, it just it, was, it ended up being the right choice in so many ways. But you know, Patty, just just trying to, he hated their. They had this logo with like a spoon, and like it was like <laughs> yeah. alphabet soup. I remember it was, like, that cartoony, and oh my god, I mean, I bet I bet that logo still makes him vomit if he looks at it long <laughs> enough. Yeah, it's just the epitome of what he hates about certain types of punk in that era you know like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um just aesthetically so i mean it was it was tough to get excited about being on hopeless but at the same time i was actually in a band I, I, we were victory records number two okay technically right so so that was like my 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 high school band um and what was the name that, of that band that band was called billingsgate billingsgate and, okay yeah and and then and then we also did a, a record with a label called Nemesis Records um, that was like a, a L.A. label, like a Long Beach label. Um, and they had like a, a deal with Cargo. They were kind of like a fairly established label. And um, this is all hardcore stuff. Okay. Um, and, you know, Billingsgate got ripped off on both those counts. Like we never got anything <laughs> for, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that LP, like at one point, I, I found out. I think we, I think it sold something like seventeen or eighteen thousand copies. We never got anything. We got like fifty copies of it. Well, I've, <laughs> like, I've got friends that are on Victory that sold millions and got no money. <laughs> right, you know. And, and to be fair, all we did was a seven inch, and we were right there. I mean, we were 
we were sitting at Tony's house, like stuffing records. I mean, yeah. he was new to the label thing too, but yeah, I mean, so, so when it did come time for, for D4 to have a record, I just knew I was like, I wanted the most legit thing. Like I wanted a contract. <laughs> like, yeah, I wanted. it's not because I felt like, Oh, because we're going to be some huge thing. And we, I was just like, I've done that thing where, where you, you get nothing. And I don't, if there's nothing to have, then I don't care. But if there's something to have, I just want to make sure we get <laughs> something. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. And uh, and of those labels, definitely Hopeless was the most, you know, like perf- like a real label, like you know, and and uh, of you know, of course, every everything's always we were right. I mean, everything has always been as as agreed. Decades later, you know, when you guys delivered, like, did you do a lot of pre-production or did you have songs ready? Like when you delivered demos or the full album to them, like, how did they feel about it? I think we just sent them roughs. Um, that was, you know, like every band. I mean, that was the one time where we had songs that had maybe been around for a while. Um, and I think, you know, the first record with people, you know, it's, it's, um, partially because of just the sort of, approach that we had to it which was we and the people recording it weren't like experts at doing that stuff yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. so it's got some idiosyncrasies it's got some you know it doesn't sound the way that like maybe you know the popular records at the time sounded um and uh and i think hopeless were a little unsure about it patty tells a story that that we sent sent them the roughs and and Lewis thought that, or we thought, no, or that we sent them the finished product and they thought it was demos. Okay. Yeah. And I don't remember that exactly, but that's how Patty remembers it. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, they were, I think they were cautiously optimistic that, that it was, yeah. <laughs> it would kind of catch on. I mean, you guys, um, you guys got a second record too. Did you sign for two at the beginning or was it an option yeah, for, for the second? We, we signed, we signed for it. Well, it's always, you know, yeah, their, their, their option, their I option guess. for a second. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, I was on tour when the, when the record actually came out, um, like release, release date wise, I was on tour. I'd somehow just back asswardsly ended up tour managing the Japanese band high standard for a tour. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, just cause like the guy who was, who was, uh, running fat at the time, like label manager for fat had been a Minneapolis guy and they just needed someone like they needed like a U.S. guy to like drive and kind of help. Yeah. And the whole tour was opening for the souls and no effects. Wow. So like, I'd never been on that kind of a tour before yeah. I've been touring for years at that point, but I'd never been in like, you know, a, a tour where every night's like, you know, a thousand, 2000 person shows, everything's on a schedule. It's pro. That was like all new to me. But I remember, and High Standard, you know, they're getting paid like a hundred bucks a night. They're the first band on that tour, but in Japan, they play arenas at the exact man. same time. They're like Green Day. They're yeah. like they can't walk down the street. They're like recognizable at yeah. the same time. So like, you know, just their their perspective on everything was so strange, and my perspective on them, and like we're in this thirty foot Winnebago, which to me seemed insane they're getting paid a hundred dollars a night and we get four hotel rooms every night <laughs> i like couldn't get my head around any of it but um but anyhow i remember playing the record uh i was driving and playing the record and some of them were sort of like what is, what what is this <laughs> you know like like this is my band this is the new band or the band i do i was telling you guys about the record just came out or whatever and they're like huh because i mean they're like the cleanest poppiest yeah kind of most perfect kind of 
that SoCal kind of sound of pop punk. And there's, and here we, you know, the part where where they were asking about is just, it's just screaming and feedback between songs and nonsense. And like, um, but then after like a few days, like they'd be like, Hey, throw that on again. Wow. Hey, throw that on again. You know what I mean? So I kind of could tell, I was like, these are definitely not the kind of punks that we like made this record for or figure wouldn't naturally be inclined to like it. But I can tell there was something like catching them about it. You know, it was like curious to them. And then they just wanted to listen more and more as the tour went on. And then part of me was like, maybe they're fucking with me, but they're nice Japanese guys. They don't really do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So with, with that being the sound of the band and you mentioning, you know, being in different hardcore bands before that, what were some of the influences that you guys actually had for, you know, when you started D4 and you started this different kind of style you, than you were used to? Yeah, I mean, you know, we at that time we were, we were obviously into like um, – you know, from the pop punk side, there was, you know, we, you know, of course we loved Jawbreaker. Like we really loved J church. We really loved, um, we liked a lot of earlier British punk. We liked all the early 77 stuff. We loved, um, you know, Patty and I kind of grew up on like New York hardcore was the stuff that we were really into. Motorhead seemed to be the band that we all agree (laughs) then and now. When, um, whenever I meet a punk person or a metal person, I always we can always agree on motor, Motorhead. Everyone can always agree on Motorhead, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, and then maybe as we got closer, like making records, like bands like Leatherface and like Stiff Little Fingers, and um, I don't know, just yeah, like you know, kind of kind of a hodgepodge. I think for for the more poppy punk bands, like Propagandi, like How to Clean Everything was definitely like a oh okay. So this is a band that what we kind of thought we were going to do was, you know, write about whatever we wanted to write about. And, and we wanted that to be like maybe more political or social conscious, but we didn't want to be boring or like yeah. preachy or we wanted to be fun. And we felt like propaganda who are great guys, not the funnest guys you've ever heard. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I had Chris on the show a few months back and, and, and we'd met in the past and he's a great guy, but yeah, sometimes it gets a little deep, a little heavy real quick. <laughs> right. You know, but, but they were, but, the, but certainly funny. And oh yeah. Fantastic. Definitely. definitely. And like that, like that really appealed to us. We're like, that's a great, that's they're, they're pulling off something. Not exactly, not exactly musically, although I love their songs. Um, but, that package was kind of what we wanted to do. Like we wanted to, like we wanted to do political songs, but, but not the easy way where you just like, we always felt like if you could write a song that somehow says, fuck the government without having to fucking say, fuck the government. Yeah. In that song, (laughs) then you're, you're, you're ahead of the pack, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, that's what we wanted to do, you know? Do it a little bit more, like, eloquently, like, not just, like, in your face, fuck the government, yeah. Right, you know, when we're at our, when when our, our best songs are the ones that do that, and our, and our weakest ones, I think, are the ones that kind of resort to really simplistic sort of slogan-y stuff, you know? Um, I, I gotta say, I like a lot of the titles of you guys' songs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Patty's forte. <laughs> that's He's awesome. A, they always yeah. have a very unique and kind of tongue-in-cheek funny title. Yeah, he's a great titler of things. Like he should, he should. I don't know if you could, if someone ever could make a business out of that, it should be him. Like bands should yeah. should outsource their titling needs to him. He's tight. He has titled a bunch of other bands' records, um, but uh, not, no one notable enough maybe that people would know. But 
so you guys you guys were on hopeless you're doing all this stuff i mean you're you're touring probably more then than you do now oh yeah how did the you just mentioned you know being on that tour with no effects and the high standard guys is that kind of how the relationship with fat came around you know i so we i ended up you know that was i think maybe like a like a month tour and i, I made a lot of friends kind of in the no effects and the souls kind of camp but i didn't really get tight with anyone really in the band then um and uh we got a chance to play like a year later at one of the very early punk rock bowling maybe it was like the second one something like that but the sterns had picked up on us the sterns were i've always been big d4 supporters from um you know youth brigade and byo records and the bowling thing um and they they invited us out to play i'm trying to think of what year that was 2000 um and to open for no effects back then it was really bowling tournament and like one show okay um so less of like a festival and more like the bowling it was a it was punk rock bowling and there was like a cap off like kind of club show okay and that was what it was in the in the early earliest time so we got to fly out and open for no effects and i ended up getting married on that weekend and so i it was like a year before or two years before i'd been on tour with no effects and I remember seeing Mike and, um, at, you know, at the thing. And I mean, I had to totally remind you, like he didn't, I didn't register on his radar yeah. that whole tour. You know what I mean? Like I've met, I've met him many times and every time I have to remind him like, Oh, we kind of, yeah. we kind of know each other, man. Yeah. But the way it always works is that the people, the people were the, the you know, that work in the, at the label in the warehouse or whatever, you know, they just listen to whatever they want to listen to during the day. Yeah. And there's been many bands and I think we're kind of one of them that end up on fat because Mike's kind of finally walking through one day. He's like, which one's this one? Yeah. You guys are always playing, you know, <laughs> like, that's awesome, man. That's how they do it. I think. And so that was kind of, did they court you or like they just, he hit you up himself. Like how did all that happen? Um, I guess when we, on those tours, like maybe around 2000, maybe after our second record came out, we did a tour with the veil who I had known, um, from literally from that high school, like, we played my that high school band played a show with a veil in Florida. I think it was Tim's second show or third show ever when wow. he sing, you know, he was originally their drummer. Yeah. Um and we were just like, This is the most amazing band we've ever seen in our lives. Like I don't even know what this is, you know? Um and uh so I mean I went so far back with them and that was kind of like our first like pretty legitimate tour, I guess, was yeah. Was a, was a, us and Avail and Leatherface, um, and Avail were really close with Vanessa from Fat, then and now, and um, we spent a night kind of hanging. I feel I might be wrong, but I kind of feel like Vanessa from Fat is the one who maybe became aware of us the first, or you know what I mean. And that's then, great because she hooked this interview up. So <laughs> right, yeah, no, she's still the best. So yeah, um, I feel like maybe she's the one that kind of got got around you know got our name around fat and um i'm not sure they exactly courted us but by this time we kind of been around no facts enough and started to um you know i was recognized by mike at this point um and it was just sort of a conversation you know he was like hey like you know if you're if if you guys are done with hopeless or something you want to talk like well i'd, I'd like to do that you know okay um it was kind of just like that you know he was very careful um, he has a long relationship with Lewis and he really, really sensitive to being perceived as like taking something from Lewis, you know? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm buddies with the 88 Fingers Louis guys. And uh, sure. when Dennis was on the show, he was talking about how like Fat kind of wanted him, but they'd already talked to Louis. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, he's very protective of, of Louis in that way. He didn't want ever to be perceived as taking something away from Louis. So. so when you guys signed with Fat, I know you were like worried kind of about the real contract with Hopeless. Was it like the handshake deal that everybody always talks about with Fat? No, I mean, we, no, I mean, we, you know, we did a full on contract, man. Um, the difference was, um, the main difference was though, it's one record deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so in that way, so we did that first one, did the full contract and everything. Second one, yeah, it's more kind of handshake, <laughs> you know, like it's basically, it's just like, I'll give you the same deal plus this or minus that. Cool. Cool. <laughs> but you still sign it up, you know? Yeah. And there were um, there were six years between you put out Situationist Comedy in two thousand two, and then in two thousand eight you did Civil War, and, and that's pretty much other than like comps and stuff. That's all you did on Fat, correct? Yeah, that's all we have on Fat. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, when they did that Fat documentary, I was like, at, we were we were on it, we were out doing a string of shows with no effects, and that crew was there like filming stuff. And I'm as I'm like, what is this? Who are these people with cameras everywhere? They're like, oh, they're doing this like documentary on Fat, and like. We've been on tour together for like several days. And I've noticed they're talking to, they didn't even talk to us once. They didn't talk to you once? No, never even asked. <laughs> I, I like, had Sean, wow. the, the director, Sean was on the show and we're, we're buddies and, and I can't believe that he, he didn't do that. <laughs> I, it was just weird, but I was, but it was kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like they, they were kind of interested in, you know, to me, there's kind of two fats yeah. in a way, you know? You talking like kind of the early OG stuff and then like yeah, the, there's the 2000s like the, stuff? Yeah, there's like the kind of like, I think of it as like there's kind of the mad caddy strung out bracket lag wagon yeah. fat. Yeah. And then there's kind of the, maybe the against me D4, uh, you know, and then there's kind of like the weird like good riddance in the middle somewhere, but they're more yeah. that other, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. So I kind of think of it that, and it seemed to me that he was they were more interested in that sort of other fat, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, but still, but at the time I was like, well, yeah, I mean, we haven't, you know, it took six years before we made a record. We've only made one record possibly since this person's been into punk. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You never know how old someone is. That's actually, that's like, how right. old are you by the way? I just turned 41. I think we're similar I, ages. Uh, yeah, I'm 46. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're right in the same ballpark, but yeah, I'll have people on the show. Like I normally stick to kind of when I was touring and who I kind of know or have mutual friends. So they're all kind of my age, sure. but I'll sure. have someone on the show. That's maybe like 26 <laughs> and I'll bring, yeah. I'll bring up something and maybe they won't get the reference, you know, oh, totally, totally different set of reference points. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you never know. Like if somebody like, Oh, I love fat records. I'm like, well, do you like no effects and lag wagon or do you like teenage bottle rocket? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which there's nothing uh, wrong with yeah. any of those bands, but you never no. know where they're at on that line, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> so you guys did civil war in 2008 on fat and I was kind of poking around the internet. I saw that there's that vinyl D for the bootleg that came out in 2010. What? Oh, right. 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 Is, that was, was that like a BBC session or something? Yeah, it was just a BBC session. Our, uh, um, the fabulous Timmy Hefner from Texas. Uh, he's an he's what is he? he's like a booking agent now, but he's a he's a tour with us, and he put on 
like festivals in Texas or whatever. And he's just an all around good guy and, and a weirdo. And he was on tour with us in the UK. We did that BBC session. And he was like, let me put that out. And we're like, we're like, as long as we don't have anything to do with it, I don't care. <laughs> you just do it, whatever. So it's like a sanctioned bootleg, but yeah. So since 2008, then has there been an official release, either like an EP or, or anything? No, nothing. Not even a single song on a comp or anything. So, I mean, have you guys been writing songs? Are there things in the hopper, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we've always got, we've kind of always got some songs. Yeah. And the the way, um, but but not, you know, we don't get together and, like, practice our songs. Like, get ready, you know, sooner sooner or later, which clearly has been later. (laughs) Yeah, totally, right? (laughs) Um, You know, we're going to, we're going to decide, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to buckle down and we'll do it in the span of three or four months. And any songs that maybe I had, you know, eight years ago or five years ago or three years ago, like they, I don't even remember them. You know what I mean? Like there'll be whatever, it'll be whatever songs I have of the recent, you know, maybe the six months before the record gets, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it'll get made then it won't be like songs that have been stewing for a decade you know what what is your like process like do you have like a lot of voice memos on your on your phone of riffs and everything or like how do you guys write songs as a band get this like a year and a half ago um i i was like i wonder i got a new laptop and i was like oh like i could just record this stuff into this (laughs) yeah because like i'm a when it comes to um gear and like recording stuff like i'm a total luddite i don't know i've never like i don't know how many ohms my fucking cab is i never never knew that stuff either man (laughs) you know and i've been playing literally for like 35 years you know what i mean like i I just can't answer basic questions about shit like that um and uh so i so i got excited i took a song that i had at the time and i like recorded even did like a um like a drum track and um and everything and like emailed it to the rest of the guys like so this is basically them this is the first new song they've heard from their band in at that point like eight years or something right yeah yeah. and i'm like check it out guys i did this here it is like what do you think i got no responses (laughs) i've still never gotten a response about it and i don't even remember that song i would have to go back and look (laughs) i mean are the other guys in your band kind of you know tech savvy or maybe they didn't even listen to it who knows no they might be they, they're equally non-tech savvy or more non-tech savvy than I am. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if they knew how to, yeah, I'm not sure if they knew how to open it or if they listened to it or <laughs> so, so yeah. So the process really is when we're, um, you know, I accumulate songs. I mostly just memorize them. Yeah. Um, I've only recently done a little bit of voice memos. That's like a new idea for me. Otherwise I just drill them into my head. Yeah. And then just keep them there. I feel, I feel like if you write like a cool riff or like a cool progression and it's good enough to go somewhere, normally you remember that. That's how yeah. my, my experience has been. The important part, at least, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and, um, and then we, uh, you know, when we're, when we're actually going to do it, then we start coming to practice with the intention of, you know, so I'll come in and say, okay, here's one. And then we'll knock that one out here's another one. Patty will bring one in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it'll all happen pretty fast when it happens, which I know makes it seem ridiculous that it takes this long <laughs> that it has taken this long. But, um, but again, it's because we don't feel, we don't, I don't really, we don't really feel the pressure that everyone I think supposes is there. Yeah. 
Well, you I know mean, what I mean? You guys, you know, the activity of the band too. I mean, I, I take it you guys all probably have jobs and you're, oh, yeah, you're not kids. depending on the band as your livelihood. No, I mean that, that concept. And I think that's the big difference of when you started your band and, um, I don't know, I guess like pre, maybe pre green day or post green day. Yeah. Like if you started your band pre green day and you chose to start a punk band, like part of what you were choosing was no commercial success. <laughs> I mean, choosing were, to not ever make any money. Yeah. Yeah. There were very few bands that, that had, for an example for you that were actually, you know, maybe bad religion or maybe, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, but, but, but I mean, even in like a pre, in a pre green day offspring world, bad religion, they weren't driving Porsches. They were just probably no, paying their bills, you know? Totally not. They could just play the big legit club in town. And yeah. there were very few punk bands that could. Yeah. And, um, I mean, even no effects wasn't there yet. You know yeah. what I mean? This is pre punk and Rublik. Like, you know, like, so, you know, that was kind of how you, you just envisioned your band, whatever, whatever you were doing it, um, what you expected to get out of it had nothing to do with like, you're going to not work jobs yeah. <laughs> and like, you're gonna, you're gonna like be in like mainstream media outlets and, and like, you know what I mean? Like, this wasn't what you were, if you started a band after Green Day and everything that surrounds that, that couldn't, you couldn't have helped but have that in your mind. Yeah. At least in the back of your mind. Yeah. Right. That that was possible, you know, because you'd seen it happen and it did happen. But if you started before that, it wasn't in your mind. So we've never stopped thinking of our band as that. It's like the thing you do when when you're not doing all the other stuff of your life yeah. that you have to do. And then the band is the thing, the thing you choose to do. Not like, I got to work on this band so that I don't have to do all this other stuff. Well, yeah, and The I other mean, stuff it, is just happening. It makes a lot more sense now that there has been the gap there's been. Because as you said, you know, there's kids and there's other jobs and there's family stuff and life stuff and... I like that whole idea of, you know, the way that the music industry is right now, D4 is probably not ever going to be Blink-182. Oh, yep. <laughs> so, so, I mean, <laughs> don't, don't you know, neglect the other things in your life that, that make you happy and that you have responsibilities for, but you still have the band and can come back to it anytime you want. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, so we, if um if things aren't fun, and this we have tried to, to do the same way since the very beginning. If it's not fun, we don't fucking do it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we make mistakes and then we find out that that fucking wasn't fun. So then we never do it again, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, as best as we can. And, um, you know, as you get older doing, doing the same kind of thing, even the stuff that was fun before isn't really fun anymore. It doesn't mean it's, you don't appreciate what was fun about it. Yeah. But, you know, I, like I said, I mean, the part that I loved the most about playing in bands when I was young was showing up in some random town and then meeting a whole bunch of people I didn't know and talking to them about whatever yeah, yeah, and staying at their house and like making all these connections. And, you know, that's, that's what I enjoyed it when I was 18 to 28 maybe, but you know, now I don't really enjoy that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, no, I'll tell you, man, like my, I've toured pretty much ever since I got out of high school, but when when I joined the Ataris and there were like hotel rooms and there were buyouts and food, mm -hmm. I, I, man, now that I'm like in my forties, I get offers sometimes to go out with bands. And I just, I always say like, is there going to be a place to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> like I, and it, and it sucks because I still have the, like the punk rock ethos like in me, but 
I'm in my forties now and it's yeah. all about comfort, you know? Yeah. You just don't enjoy the same experiences, yeah. you know? And, and those experiences, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I show, have those experiences. They kind of mold totally. who I am. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I've had them. Yeah. I don't need to have them over and over again. And they don't really change a lot. Um, over time. I mean, it's still ultimately kind of just re having the same experience over and over again, yeah. really. So, yeah. um, so, and that gets tedious for anything, no matter, no matter what it is that you do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to get excited about, um, you know, going out, uh, let's, let's go do two or three weeks, like supporting a band that's bigger than us. And, you know, I don't know, I've just kind of done that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not that much, it won't be that much different when you really boil it down than the other times we've done it. But I have kids at home. They do different shit every day that I've never experienced. Yeah. That's time well spent. Yeah, man. That's the thing. Like I, I have toddlers, you know, you said your kids are a little bit older, but I just, when I had my son and now that I have my daughter going on the road for weeks or months at a time, I just, I can't even fathom it, man. I just can't no. even imagine being gone, you know? No, Lane, our drummer was the first of us to have kids. Um, his kids are older than mine. And, um, and I feel bad now. Like when he, when he had his first daughter, I mean, the other three of us just weren't at places in our lives where we could even get our heads around that. Yeah. And, and I now feel like we weren't very sympathetic in those first few years because even though we weren't doing a ton, I mean, this was past the time that we were really, really doing a lot of stuff, but you know, we were still going out for a couple week run here, three week run there. Um, and I realize now how sort of how much harder that was for him to be gone now that I know what it would feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I realized we weren't always maybe as sympathetic to that. We just didn't, couldn't understand it, you know? Yeah. I think it has to happen to you and then you start to have that empathy, yeah. you know, for other people. But if you are one of the people who's, you know, where, you know, you got to go do that for that kid. That's a different thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, if you're going to you and, know putting food on the table by playing your guitar, then maybe you have to yeah. go to it. Yeah. I mean, that's tough and that's what pro musicians have to do. But fortunately we just never put ourselves in, in that position, you know, where, where in order to feed the kid, we have to leave the kid, <laughs> you know? And, and I know that one of your kind of, you know, side gigs or a real life job or whatever, I know that you own the triple rock social club for a quiet, a long time. Did you guys start that or did you buy it after it would already been going? No, we, op yeah. So that was, that was trip rock was really my wife's idea. And it, it opened the same year that Midwestern songs came out. Um, and you know, we bought an existing bar and re redid it. Um, and, uh, and then a couple, I guess five years later added on the venue part of it, which is then kind of what it became more known for, obviously, because people then for 10 years, like bands came through and that's kind of how word got out about it. But yeah, that's what we did. I mean, we opened that bar when I was 25. Yeah. Um, and that was my wife and I's thing, um, until just almost two years ago. Almost to the day, I think. Was it just like kind of declining clientele or like the, the shows weren't grossing enough? Like what kind of caused the yeah. downfall? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a mix. I mean, it was certainly business reasons. You know, you can't ignore that. I mean, we had a really successful run. I mean, almost 19 years um, keeping a small business, mom and pop, alive. And we had some really good years in there. Like really good. Yeah. Um, and like any business, we have some really bad ones, but I mean, no, no effects wrote a song about it. So <laughs> yeah, man, that put a smile on my face. That's pretty day, awesome. Day, my, 
like text me. He's like, I just wrote a song called Seeing Double the Triple Rock. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then totally forgot about it. And then boom, one day it's out. Um, and that was, that was a ton of fun. The, uh, um, but yeah, the last few years, you know, it was, it was struggling Yeah, just for a lot of, you know, for all kinds of reasons. I mean, not struggling. Like we could always make payroll. We could always pay our debts, but it wasn't, you know, like it's like, it was always kind of a labor of love, but in those last few years, it was becoming more labor yeah. than love. Right. You know, because now we've got little kids and now like the thought that like there's 400 people across town fucking hammered leaving my place at two o'clock in the morning um, every night and leaving me exposed to losing everything from one of them, like running yeah. over someone or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff just starts to eat away at your mind. So, so it was fatigue of that sort too. Like we could have kept it going. It wasn't like we weren't able to make debt payments or, or anything like that, but it was a lifestyle that we didn't want anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't think people think a lot about, you know, if you own a bar and that happens, I mean, you're kind yeah. of liable for that. Like I used to work, uh, I was the entertainment director and talent buyer at a place down on the beach when I lived down South. And we had to make sure when people left that there wasn't like an issue with them leaving, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like driving home. No. So I totally get it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the liability part really, really weighs on you. Um, and, uh, and also there was a little bit of like, you know, it's that careful, you know, careful what you wish for it might come true it was like i was like oh man someday we're gonna have live music and we'll have shows and like all oh, my friends bands are gonna come here and and uh, i'll see all these amazing shows in my own place and like you know that all happened but but when you make the things you love like part of your job yeah <laughs> it can't help but take the shine off it a little bit eventually you know? you're gonna burn out yeah yeah and i started to realize i'm like man for for every amazing show that I've gotten to to put on in my own place, I've also missed that many amazing shows because I was just sick of going down there. Yeah, and I just missed one of my favorite bands playing in my own place. But I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, and that's just that's like a shitty feeling, um, or just awkward stuff where it's like bands that you're tight with and like you know your place is perceived as being super successful, but you know how thin that that yeah. margin is and how hard you're fighting every day to try and make sure that you're meeting your obligations and then bands that you're friends with like all of a sudden like blink they're playing a show in the other place in town and you're like what the fuck man <laughs> like you know and it's like it's just those situations were were hard to um you know hard to take sometimes you're just you have to have really thick skin and uh, as, it, as it gets older, your skin gets thinner, I think. <laughs> yeah. So now that, you know, the Triple Rock is no longer a working venue, what do you take your time up with now as far as like your other job other than the band? So we did a lot of real estate investing. We, um, we had built up a lot of equity in that building. Um, so we were able to turn that around. So I basically kind of landlording. I do a lot of, okay. I sit on the, the board of my kid's school. Um, I do, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, pretty much, uh, real estate and real estate investing type stuff. Cool, man. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's sort of a semi-retired. Hey man, I, I can't wait for that. I, I teach guitar and I have 70 students a week and I, I can't wait Yikes. to not do that. <laughs> I like doing yeah. it, but I mean, like you said, you get burnt out on anything, you know? Yeah. We made some good decisions early on. Um, we made a lot of bad decisions early on, but, um, but fortunately, um, you know, we're able to put ourselves in a position where I don't, 
I haven't worked for someone else since I was, you know, since before the bar. So 24. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I don't really know if I could now. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm really employable by someone else. I have, um, you know, a wealth of, of small business experience. Um, but, uh, as an owner, <laughs> so I don't really, <laughs> yeah. people don't really like to hire owners because they're used to doing what they want to do. Um, so yeah, fortunately so far, so good. Um, don't, don't have to work for someone else. Um, I can just, but I'm always kind of looking for other stuff to do. I don't think I would do another bar restaurant, but, um, you know, entrepreneurial. Awesome. So as far as this new record we were talking about though, have you guys discussed it? Like there's going to be another record, correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's this year we did like a, a, a hopeless anniversary thing back in January, um, in LA and I, maybe it was their 20th or 25th. I can't remember. Um, 25th probably. And after that weekend, I was like, look, you guys, we have to not do anything this year. We have to not do anything like, because what, what happens to us is that, um, even in all these years of like sort of inactivity, we never have, I mean, we never have, uh, a period where we don't have something on the horizon, at least, you know, 12 weeks out. There's always some, we're always doing just enough that we've got some other thing coming up, um, whether it be a festival or whatever, um, or just local shows. So we do one of those things and then we all kind of want to set it down for a while, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then before you know it, it's time to do one of those things again. So I was like, we need to take this year off um, and, and get it done this year. And then um, that didn't really happen. I mean, we kind of took this year off a little bit, but it happened to be our 25th year. And that's like, it's a big deal. Well, come on. I mean, you can't just ignore that completely. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're doing a world tour, Minneapolis, Des Moines <laughs> yeah. and Chicago. <laughs> those, those are three places in the world. So. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but anyways, no. So after, after we, after we finished off our year, um, we don't have much committed for next year. So really the goal is through the first part of next year, get something done. I don't know if it'll be a full length. Um, I don't know if it'll be something, something shorter. Yeah. You know, I don't want to feel like we have to put out a full length record just because we have to, like if we have six great songs, we'll release six great songs. I'd rather release six great songs and shelf the other yeah. filler. I mean, a, a lot of people are just doing singles now. You guys could just yeah, put out singles. About records. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, I love physical stuff, but a lot of people are just going to streaming completely. So, yeah. So, but yeah, so the, it really is part of the plan. Like I, it's, it sounds, sounds funny after, after that it's taken this long, but I personally, and some of I mean, we, I've, it's definitely, I've reached my limit of how much I can play just what we've always played. Yeah. Like, and I know it's not like we're going to put something new out and everyone's going to be like, oh my God, the new D4 is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not expecting any of that, but just, you know, I'm, I'm, I think most people will still come to our shows and prefer to just hear the things that we always do anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I need to, something else. So um, it will come. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I've had you on the phone for quite a long time. I do have a couple listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering. Oh, sure. So uh, Frank from Las Vegas, Nevada, he said that he once heard an interview with Avril Lavigne and she said that she liked you guys. Were you aware of that? Yeah, that was kind of a weird time. Um, 
we heard that she came to a show we played in LA, like right after I think Situationist came out, and we had been on tour like while she, uh, that Skater Boy song was blowing up. So we weren't we weren't aware of it because it's not like we listened to the radio in the van. Um, and all these people that night were like, "Do you guys know Avril Lavigne's here?" And we're like, "Who? What are you talking about? Who's Avril Lavigne?" Um, but yeah, it's weird. You know her her live band at the time were all like people from the Toronto punk scene. Okay. They were all, they were all guys who played in like, you know, kind of the same scenes as all of us. Um, like bands like, I don't know, great or, you know, bands like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so they have been playing, you know, when they're out on tour through, they've been playing D4. So she said that I think in like spin. So then, yeah, we ended up like going to one of her shows here and hanging out. She came to triple rock and kind of awesome. hung out for a while. It was weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's just, while we were buds. it's just cool. Like when your band does get like any sort of, you know, out into the, the stratosphere, like who can listen? Like I'm amazed at some of the emails I get from people that listen to the show that I would never think would listen to the show. I'm sure. Know? Yeah. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to out anybody, but there's some people that freak me out when they email me. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, yeah. So that, yeah, that, that was true. I mean, I haven't not, you know, it's been forever, yeah. I, you know, but, um, but yeah, for a little while we were, we kind of hung a little bit. I don't know. She was a lot younger than us. She was nice though. She, I thought she was really nice. Awesome. Okay. I've got one more listener question. This is Sonny from Mexico. He didn't specify where in Mexico, but, uh, he wants to know why you guys never played warp tour. Oh, um, well, and the very early ones is cause no one asked us. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I think when we finally, when we finally did get, get an opportunity, to play it and honestly i don't think i don't think we were really getting asked i actually think that at the time it might have been billy joe had kind of put in a word yeah um which which i think had enough might in it that it was more like a hey put them on it um because we had just done that split with pin of gunpowder and okay um and uh so by the time we got asked i'm not sure if we were even really being asked because they really wanted us to be part of the tour. I think it might've been maybe as a doing a solid to Billy Joe. I don't think um, the warp tour producers ever thought of D4 as much of a warp tour kind of band. Yeah. And that was perfect. Cause we didn't think of ourselves as a warp tour kind of band, you know? <laughs> I mean, we were always very sensitive to what, I mean, it's kind of stupid now, but I, you know, we were very, because we watched it happen in front of our eyes. We were really sensitive to watching what we kind of held close as like underground yeah. culture and watching it, watching it become everyday stuff for everyone was weirdly hard for us. And, and we wanted to resist that in some way. I don't know. And like, not, not that saying decide not to do warp tour was like some huge act of resistance, but doing warp tour to me was a huge act of compliance, of giving up on that. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. right. Compliant, better words. So, um, so I think that's, that's kind of why, you know, okay. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't seem, the other thing is we had friends, you know, a lot of bands that we're friends with that did it and they were mostly miserable. I mean, they it's were a hard like, tour, man. I, the yeah. last time that I did it, we were on the main stage in 2009 and we did it in a van. And I mean, it was brutal. They all said it was, they always said it was brutal. Yeah. You know totally. what I, mean? and I was like, that totally doesn't sound like fun. And again, our deal was the other, the other thing. And again, we've made mistakes on this, but the other sort of guiding motto we used to have is that if we wouldn't go see it, if we wouldn't pay the ticket price to go see it, don't play it. Yeah, that makes right? sense. Yeah, totally. And we really held to that early on. Now, now it's with festivals. It's kind of weird. I don't know. Some people like them. Some people don't. But 
at Warp Tour time, you know, that was some, none of us was, we were all into that music and none of us was going to pony up and go get a ticket. Now we wouldn't have had to, but that meant that it didn't fit into something that we would play. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I mean, I think it's kind of cool that you guys stick to your guns. I mean, like, you know, a lot of bands don't, a lot of bands want to succeed so much that they'll kind of do anything. And I guess that's kind of how growing up as a punk rock kid, you always talk about people selling out and, it's kind of awesome that you guys never even approach that, you know? Well, I, the other thing is I think I'm realistic about, and like, I've heard our band. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> we're not, we're not a pop, you know what I mean? Like we're a poppy punk band, but we're not, like, I, I've heard bands that are musically successful and our band and they're different things. Yeah. Like we don't sing on the level that those bands sing. We don't like, you know what I mean? Like we're not polished in that way. And so, you know, trying to chase what they do like that that's never going to work anyways yeah i mean even you know like like there's no chance that d4 is ever was ever gonna have some sort of you know pseudo hit song or something we're not that (laughs) we're not good at band we're not that good as a band you know (laughs) definitely so hey man i want to uh i didn't mean definitely you're not that good as a band (laughs) i've always really liked you guys and i kind of i like the kind of rougher sound the poppier punk stuff I enjoy, but I like it if it's got a little bit more grit in there, you know? Sure. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on today. Uh, it's been awesome chatting with you and getting to know a lot about the history and, and how you guys, you know, run the band and how everything works. And I, I just want to say good luck at the upcoming anniversary shows. And when you guys down the road, if hopefully it's not another decade, but when you have something new come out, I'd love for you to come back and share it with us. Oh, that'd be great. All right, man. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome, man. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Eric Funk of Dillinger 4. I got to say, I I love the way that no one dictates that band except the band. Like they do everything on their own terms and I, I, it's the coolest thing ever. And I can't wait for Eric to come back on the show when they have a new record coming out. So shout out to Eric and all the other guys from Dillinger four. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. And that's going to do it for me, guys. I'm going to get out of here. I had a really long intro. I'm going to keep this outro very short. I would like to tell you guys, if you want to help out the show, jump on the Patreon train. You can head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. I'd like to give a big shout out to both of our Patreon producers, Bob Foster from Hemet, California, at Punk Rock Bob Foster on Instagram, and John Exton from Stafford, England. Check out John's band, Between Static and Silence at BSAS Band on Instagram. And remember that they are opening for my old buddy and bandmate Christopher Rowe on his acoustic tour in Stafford, England on January 10th. So I will see you guys next week where I will be sitting down with Mr. Jose Prieto from Make War. Such a good band. And I will tell you straight up, one of my top records of 2019 is that new Make War record on Fat. So I hope you guys know what's up with Make War. They're such a great band. And you'll get to hear all about it next week when I sit down with Jose. So thank you guys once again for all the support. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to this podcast and help us grow. And I'm going to play some music now while I get out of here. So I'm going to play one of my favorite tunes from Dillinger 4. This is a song called Gainesville. I love you guys, and I will see you next week, and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever. Uh, the next episode is probably going to drop on or around Christmas, so you know if, if, 
If it's after Christmas, then this is it for me. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I love you all, and I'll talk to you soon. This is Dillinger 4 with Gainesville. Peace. And I know that's bad for our image, but I don't give a damn. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Chris just jumping in at the end of the podcast. Is anybody still listening? I don't know if people listen to the end or not, 
But uh, like I said, I told you I would maybe let you check out a little snippet of a song I'm working on. And uh, it's uh, very, very early in the writing stages for this song. But I wanted to let you guys check it out. It's not mixed very well. It's uh, recorded a sort of okay. But uh, I just want a little bit of feedback. So let me know what you think about the little the little song that I'm going to play for you guys. It's very, very short. I just want some feedback. So you can email me, podcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on the socials, TOTOT Podcast, and uh, let me know what you guys think. See you next week. Peace. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.